The expressed views of the guests on this podcast are theirs alone and not necessarily endorsed by the host, TWBC, or any associated sponsor. Conversations that are robust yet balanced, on point and to the point. You are listening to The Talk of Tournament Water Skiing. This is the TWBC Podcast. And now, here's your host, Tony Lightfoot. Well, greetings one and all. Welcome to this latest edition of the TWBC Podcast. Thanking you for your support once again. LA Night Jam uh, is uh, going to be coming right at you uh, tomorrow evening at the at the posting of this webcast, which is on the afternoon of June the 9th. And uh, one of the competitors hoping to make an impression upon this event is none other than Canada's Dorian Llewellyn. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, good, Tony. Thanks for having me here. Why, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, blunt question right from the get-go. Why weren't you at the Masters? <laughs> um, yeah, that was a hard decision. Um, obviously, we all know that the Masters is pretty special, um, not only for the whole ski community, but also for my family. I mean, that's one of the things that when people come to my house, my parents' stacks of all the Masters plates is is maybe one of the cooler things that they point out. Um, so, yeah, I... You know, it, it's sometimes you have to think about the whole season instead of just one tournament. And I coming into King of Darkness, my shoulder kept getting tighter and tighter. And, you know, we all have that spot right below our shoulder blade that just gets tight from skiing. And I guess mine got a little too tight and pulled a rib head out right before King of Darkness. And Ooh. yeah, and I, I love King of Darkness and it was only like three days before. So I kind of pushed through it, thought it wouldn't be that big a deal. And I guess in the process, I, I made my body a little bit more upset and... So then the next couple of weeks after that, I, you know, my, my body kept going into spasm and I just figured it was a better idea to get it fixed before it was a long-term injury. So nothing political, nothing, no, nothing to do with, with tr- just trying to rest and, uh, you know, going, going to that uh, dip and dip and peak cycle that an athlete goes through in order to be ready for which, for, for a tournament such as the world's so just playing flat out. You, you just won't fit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I could have skied through it. I skied through it for King of Darkness, but um, I just felt like I was delaying the inevitable of me getting getting healthy again, and I didn't want to risk any anything major. So I guess it, it's partially the worlds and all that. Um, obviously, this summer, we're going to be super busy uh, between the overall tour and then all the other jump events, trick events, and, you know, some of the slalom tournaments. I'm not going to all of them, but some yeah. of them. Um, we're going to be super busy in the next couple months, so... Yeah, there's there's multiple parts to it, but yeah, I, you know, I just, I my body was going into spasm, and I guess it was just telling me that enough was enough for that that week, and basically I just took one week off and it went away. So, you know, I guess maybe I should have done it a little earlier, but you know, you live and you learn. Excellent, excellent. So, all right then. The, okay, we've gotten rid of that question. That that uh, that five hundred pound gorilla that's in, that's in, <laughs> that was in the corner of the room concerning. Where's Dorian Lowell and why wasn't he there? All that kind of stuff on Bowler Spray. Do you ever listen to any of any 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 of that minutia? Uh, I I didn't. I actually I went to California to the Red Bull Center over there and did some training and some rehab and um, so I I actually purposely got away from skiing and didn't really look. I didn't watch that much of the Masters. I knew the scores. I mean, I'm I'm curious and I want to know how all my friends do anyway. So I knew what was going on, but. You know, for for me, it's just so much of my life revolves around skiing. So then when I wasn't able to do it, I knew that watching and, and keeping up with everything was just going to drive me nuts. So went to California, trained there, hung out on the beach in Santa Monica a little bit, got my mind right. And now we're now we're back. 
Okay, so uh, you mentioned Red Bull. Uh, obviously, the uh, the Aust- the the Austrian originated drink company that seems to be like conquering the world. No matter <laughs> no no matter whether it's uh, I don't know in the Red Bull Air Race, whether it's uh, Formula One with Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez and all of that kind of stuff. No, but you know. Red Bull's involvement in sport goes a lot deeper than just, you know, providing like the funds and the finance to keep an an F1 team or two up and running, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Red Bull for me has, you know, people always think, oh, you're selling a can or this or that. Like, what's your favorite can? And obviously, it's still about selling cans because that's how, you know, the, the primary product that Red Bull presents. But I find Red Bull to be so much bigger than just a can. You know, it's a global brand and, and it's it's a community really for all of us. Like even just now, like I was saying, I was in California and, you know, they, they have an athlete house for us there. So when you go over to train there, you, you stay with all the other athletes. So when I was there, there was a, a snowboarder from Russia and another snowboarder from the US and surfer from Tahiti and a basketball player from China. So like, you know, for me, there's there's so many facets to what Red Bull brings to the table and you know, obviously, at the end of the day, it's it's creating a winning pedigree. And whether, yeah, like you said, it's Formula One or, you know, any sport across the board, really, you, you see somebody with a Red Bull, like, hat or whatever it is, or Red Bull on their board for surfing, usually they're they're fighting for wins. So it's it's a pretty awesome community to be a part of. Okay, let me let me let me let me kind of point in a little bit on that reference that you made just there and that answer to to that snowboarder from Russia. I mean, not I mean not obviously there's a, there's a lot going on in the world to the world of sports and Russian Russians and Belarusians being excluded left, right, and center, which is which is a sad situation, you know. But I mean. Uh, um, I mean, what, what's, what's your view in that? I mean, I mean, I know, I know you're Canadian, you know, but I mean, you, your heart must go out to, to like the, the Belarusians and Russians that are in within this sport that can't, uh, that can't compete un, under the, the nation's flag because of what's going on in Ukraine, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, what's going on in Ukraine is is awful, and we have a ton of friends that are on the Ukrainian water ski team, like Danilo and Alex Samoylov and all those guys, and. What they're having to deal with on a day-to-day basis is just, I, I can't even put it into words because I don't have a clue what it feels like. Um, and for somebody like Danilo, who is, I mean, you just look at him, he's a strong guy, both mentally and physically. And for him to tell you straight up how scary it is and, you know, some of the things that they have to deal with, it's 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 hard to really understand what they're going through. But yeah, on the same side, we have a ton of friends, whether it's within skiing or outside that are athletes from Russia and from Belarus, and a lot of them live here, especially for skiers. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Florida and the U.S. is the training grounds for pretty much every pro skier. Um, so, yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, I was talking to the snowboarder while I was in California, and and for him it just felt like he was a bit lost. Like he's training, but he doesn't know what he's training for. He doesn't know if he's going to get into certain events. Yeah, that like, was the point, yeah. It's, and I know Igor, I remember talking to him about it, and especially as a jumper, I mean – we're putting our body on the line every set, whether, you know, it's just a practice set or a, a jump tournament set. If you're going over the ramp, you're you're taking on a lot of danger and a lot of risk. So it's it's got to be tough not knowing when you're actually going to compete, but to still push yourself in practice. I know I would struggle with that. So, you know, to to all my friends that are going through that, you know, I, I applaud them for continuing to train and, and to push themselves in spite of all this uncertainty. Yeah. 
All right, then one person in who you who you especially related to obviously knows knew the risks of taking taking the jump and knew uh, knew the possibilities of getting injured and all that kind of stuff, you know. And it and it was and it was an injury that basically essentially ended his tournament career. Well, obviously making reference to your father, of course, Jarrett Llewellyn. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he took he, he took that bad spill in in 2015 during the World Championships. Now, I, I believe you you were you were on the shoreline there at that time. I mean, what 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 was going through your mind at that point? Uh, yeah, that was tough. Um, especially knowing how hard he trained and and seeing how well he was skiing. And and there's there's a lot actually to this question because yes, in a way that that injury was kind of one of the the last moments of what was an amazing career. Um, but also, I mean, I've I've seen my dad in the last couple of years still ski, and I mean, when he rides his jump skis, it's incredible. Like I think he he still rides his jump skis better than pretty much anybody, better than I do, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely that was tough um, because I knew how well he was skiing, and and when you're at the peak like that, and to to know that he could have brought more to that set, and I think it was his first jump of the finals, like. It's it's a kind of it's a big what if, and that's what my dad was chasing the last the last couple of years. You know, after that crash, he tried to come back again and kind of, you know, had other little injuries. And obviously, overall is extremely tough on the body. So at at that age, it's hard to keep going. And but he was always chasing something and still wanting that picture perfect finish. When in reality, you know, he had so many highlights. I mean, 118 pro wins is enough to make anybody you know dream of that. And uh, but now I, I watch him, and, and he's a lot more at peace with everything that's that's happened, and and a lot more at peace with his career. And I think, in the moment after that crash, it was like, okay, I got to get back. I got to start training again. I got to I got to have like wow. this last world title. Um, but now, as times passed, he he's able to broaden his view, and he looks at his whole career, and especially now with the overall tour that we got going on, it gives him another project to work on, and. Now, um, now he lives vicariously through the through the folks that compete on a on a weekend by weekend basis on the world pro, uh, the overall tour. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, between us as skiers and also the tour and the life that the tour has taken on itself, you know, with like we were saying with Red Bull on board, I mean, there's a lot of cool things that we can do and that we're working on, and I think that makes him super excited and keeps him in the sport while also you know pushing it forward, which is awesome. Okay. Uh, okay. Let, let's let's talk about your typical day of Dorian Llewellyn. I mean, obviously, obviously, when you're not traveling over to, towards the opposite side of the United States at the Red Bull camp, and then then getting back into your regular training session. What is your regular training uh, schedule schedule these days? Yeah. So the the last couple of years, I've been living more and more in Claremont. Um, it's been splitting my time between Tangi and Thibaut Dial's house, and then also uh, living with Cole McCormick and his fiance Jess. And I mean, both of those places are awesome. And so that's why over the last two, three years, every year I've been living more and more in Claremont just because between Jack's and all the other ski places, you know, Boris's and Swiss, it's, it's just so fun being up there and hanging out with everybody. But, you know, I wake up and eat breakfast, you know, around eight thirty, nine o'clock. And it's that partially because you know, there are other people skiing at Jack's, so we ski at 12. I am a morning person, just want to point that out before people jump on me for skiing super late. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we get out to the lake, you know, 10 o'clock, warm up, and then usually slalom first. I like to slalom first in the morning and, 
you know, get my mind going, but also kind of be fresh for slalom as well to push myself to, you know, run those 39s and then try to get mid to deep 41s. Um, and then, yeah, after that, Tangy and Tebow usually trick with me on, and sometimes, you know, I trick with Natty Bernikova as well. Um, so then I'll do two trick sets, middle of the day, and then, yeah, towards the end of the day, a lot of times sunset jump sets are, are the best, you know. You're jumping away from the sunset. You get awesome videos at Jack's, and the wind's usually perfect at that time. So you can't really beat it. It's uh, it's kind of paradise. He's a morning person. <laughs> All right, then. So, okay, had a little look look over your, your day. Uh, tell us about your relationship between you and Joel Poland. Because I mean, you—I uh, you, mean, you came in second in the overall competition. He was the—he's the world champion. Things could turn on a dime, you know. We're, we're in in that competition, you've held the the world over world overall record for a little bit of time. He took it over. He has the he has the record, you know. But I mean, I mean, I mean, from the outset, one would expect you to be like fierce rivals. But really, I mean, it can be can't be further from the truth. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, like you said, you know, you would expect us to be huge rivals, and and I think we are. Like at the end of the day, we know exactly that in order to achieve what we want, we have to, you know, basically take it away from the other person. So he took or he broke the overall record, and then I took it, and and then he took it back, and then he won the worlds, and now I'm trying to win the worlds. It's like we know that all our goals are directly in conflict with each other, but. Um, we also understand that we're pushing each other to new heights that the sport's never seen. And, and you, you see it with all the people that are coming up now. I mean, Louis fast approaching and you got guys like Edo out here that are, that are jumping in this tournament. So guys are, are starting to push each other in every event and also in overall at the same time. But yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, you, you hang out at your own lake, like Joel's usually at Matt's place and I'm usually at Jack's and we end up hearing about what the other person's doing and, and then at the end of the day, you know, you, you start to get into that mindset of like, all right, I got to, I got to beat him. I got to do this. And then, and then we show up to the tournament and you're looking at them. And then as soon as you start talking to each other, we're like, oh yeah, we're still good friends. So it's a good relationship for sure. Um, and I've always thought that I've never worried that from his side, that he was going to be anything but friendly to me at the end of the day. And I'm, you know, trying to compete as hard as I can while also maintaining that, that good friend as well. He tells me is that he's more worried about the kids that are coming up, <laughs> like Martin Labra and uh, uh, Duplon Freiburg, or well, any one of them, I guess. I mean, because there are, there are, there are at least two of them that can challenge in the overall. Uh, your assessment on on overall's future, because that's essentially what this co- this question is all about, really. Yeah, I mean, obviously the future is super bright with overall. Um, I mean, even even guys like Jake Abelson, who yeah, you mentioned him too. A couple of years ago, Jake wasn't really doing. I, he might have been doing it at home, but no one knew that he was actually doing it. And now he's bursting onto the scene. And I mean, with that trick score, you know, right away, obviously he's going to be in the conversation to win. Um, but yeah, then you then you watch him slalom and you watch him jump, and you're like, oh, you can do everything. And so yeah, I, I between Louis and Tincho, Martin Labra, like. And then between Jake and everybody else, I mean, again, Edo's out here, and it's, I, I, I mean, all the Freiborgs, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, all, all three of those boys, I mean, they're all just... They're all cyborgs. Yeah, exactly. They're all just muscles, <laughs> and they're able to just do these things that, you know, I would say five, ten years ago, nobody ever thought we'd be doing. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I guess I'm... 
I'm trying to still be the leader of that pack. I know Joel and I are kind of co-leading right now, but um, it's going to be crazy. I mean, especially with this tour, you know, last year, Louis won the first stop and then Joel won the second two and I won the last one. So um, already you can see that there's some parody going on and it's going to be crazy. Now, you've seen pictures in the past of uh, of your father, Jarrett Llewellyn, holding this big old trophy at the Masters you know, for the, that was given to the overall competitors. Yeah. What's it going to take to convince that boat company to uh, to reinstate uh, the overall win of the Masters? Yeah, I, I I think right now it's... it's. I mean, we have our tour right now, so that's awesome. And and it's. I was going to say it's the same for Trick. Like, the way that Trick's going and the way that overall's going, I... I don't really see how it's even in a discussion. Like it's, it's super exciting. I mean, tricks at Swiss pro was crazy. And then our overall tour has been nuts. Like I said, I mean, the first tour stop, you know, everybody's watching Joel and, and me and thinking, okay, you know, who's going to potentially break the overall record at this first overall tour stop. And then both of us push too hard looking at each other. And then Louis comes in and he just sweeps it out from under us. And you realize, all right, um, Game on. It's not just a two-person race. I mean, every, yeah, exactly. Game on. Everybody's here, and they're all pushing the sport to crazy heights. So, I mean, I guess if I thought if, – if I sit down and I think about it, I guess I could come up with some arguments. But, man, I, I don't even – in my opinion, I don't even think you should need to argue it. I think it should be pretty obvious that they yeah, should do it. Ex- exactly. Exactly. You just come off the water having jumped and uh, probably took a jump out there on your la- on your last attempt of the jump that you probably wish you didn't didn't take. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, how how's that working out for you? Yeah, it was good. Um, last year I was, you know, I wasn't in a rhythm yet in jump. I had, had some. It's bad that I'm repeating this because you know we just talked at the beginning how I missed the Masters. But last year I had a like the Masters one this year was more of a maintenance thing. I just had to like figure out something that was going on with my body. Last year, I actually had a bit of a concerning lower back injury. Um, so when I got here, I You're was, a wreck, aren't you? I know it's, I'm getting old, man. It's crazy. It's don't been, let, don't let your dad hear you say that. I know. Well, it's been two years in a row where on my birthday, I've had a little bit of a back injury. And at the end of the day, it's only been like a week or two off here or there, but it's still annoying when people come up to you and they're like, Oh, you feel old yet or what? And I'm like, yes, I do. I have a lower back injury right now. It's the old thing. Um, but last year I felt really out of sorts here. I just hadn't gotten into a rhythm. So, you know, that set was even though it was a bit of a mess at the end, I just came off kind of flat on my last jump. I still felt like I figured it out for the most part. And that as a jumper, you know, that's what you use your practice sets for. I mean, I felt the ramp, the ramp feels sick. Um, the boat feels strong and my timing could have been a bit better, but overall I feel like I know where I'm at. So yeah, I made a mistake, but I'm not really going to think about it too much because tomorrow when the tournament starts, you know, it's another day and just try to fix those mistakes. A lot of people forget you're the current world trick champion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it still feels pretty good being that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's been, you know, I, I've been trying to trying to back that title up with with some other stuff and trying to not you know fizzle out as just some guy that won the world at one point and um, not only in overall. I meant specifically in tricks. You know, yeah. I, I did feel some pressure in the last year to continue to you know prove that that wasn't just a fluke win and you know last last year i finished second at the masters so that was cool a lot, and a lot of people viewed that competition as more like a war of attrition you know yeah. like like the like the first few skiers that the, the or even the last few skiers that could have had a serious impact like pato and uh, uh 
reel off a few trick skiers for me. Oh, yeah. Pato, I mean, Martin Coleman, Pierre Ballon, and then you got Adam Picos, who's a two-time world champ, and Joel, and Tincho, and... Yeah, uh, even Felipe Franco. I, I mean, I, I can list you the guys that were after me because I remember watching them all go down. Um, but yeah. It, what was that feeling like? You know, like, <laughs> he's going down, he's going down. Well, I might have a chance here. Yeah, well, my first goal in that round was actually overall. That was I was so pumped up to just go out and, and just, just nail my trick run because I knew I had to make up some ground in overall. And, and that was what I was most proud of in that set. I just smashed my toe run and then you know a little bit of a mistake in my hand run coming back but i i didn't even watch the first two guys after me and i think one of them was coleman and then and then once i got back it was okay a couple guys fell i'm still leading and then you know i still had seven or six guys left to watch and and then i remember specifically you know guys like felipe franco stood up his his toe run and i remember how solid he is in hands so i'm thinking okay you know that's probably it he's probably gonna get me and then he fell in in hands and then on a weird fall. And then, you know, guys like uh, Danilo, Danilo smashed his hand run and Danilo's toes. I mean, that guy has been doing one of the best toe runs we've ever seen since he was 15. And then he falls on a toe like back to back. And then Joel gets all the way back to ski line five after his flips and, you know, wraps himself in the rope. And, and then, I mean, Pato, I mean, I never expect Pato to fall. And it was a weird fall, but yeah, it's just, you know, every single person falling, it gave me that little bit more hope. And I think with the last three, two or three skiers, my dad came up and he was like, you know, this is how I won the Worlds. I had to watch everybody and I did my thing and, and then everybody fell. So that when he said that, it kind of started to give me probably too much hope that, you know, this might actually happen. Yeah. But it was it was a pretty awesome feeling, especially having my cousin there. My whole family was there and my cousin skied in the tournament as well. So he was one of the reasons I started skiing. So it was it was pretty awesome. Nice, nice. What frustrates you about this sport? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of the beauty and the curse of skiing that, you know, you're never truly satisfied. Um, whether it's slalom, you know, usually in a tournament, your last buoy or your last pass, you don't complete. So there's always something that you're chasing. Like even for Nate, guys like that, his world record is two and a half. I mean, it's not like he ran 43 and he went back to the dock and, you know, that's it. No one's ever going to ski better than that. Like, it's it's always ending on you being able to say, okay, I think I can get to the next buoy, or I think I can get that extra half buoy, and and tricks, you know, it's it's chasing these new tricks that everybody's doing, whether it's yeah. Super Mobe Five or whether it's you know this Toe Line Five front that Mati Gonzalez and Danilo are doing now. Like, there's always something that you can learn, and and yeah. then you go out and you fall on it a million times, and then jump. I've had a couple jumps where at the time I thought, okay, that was pretty much as far as I could go today. But in general, we're definitely not maxed out in jump. So that's always keeping us coming back for more. All right, then. Uh, that, uh, that, con- that pretty much concludes uh, this podcast here uh, of the TWBC podcast. Uh, any, any thanks you want to send to people? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously all my sponsors and my family. I mean, that, that's my support system, whether it's you know, on the water, whether it's traveling around. But mainly, you know, the support that I get off the water and you know, when I'm, when I'm going through tough times, like honestly, before the masters, I wasn't, wasn't feeling great and was getting down on myself because I wasn't able to ski. And I, even if I tried to ski at the masters, I didn't think I was going to be able to do my full, full force. You know, I, uh, I need a lot of, a lot of support to get through that and to not be too down on myself. So, you know, the Jack's crew went, came, did a, a surprise birthday for me and that really lifted my spirits. So things like that, you know, that's, that's the important stuff in this sport. 
Excellent stuff. And that was the latest edition of the TWBC podcast with Doreen Llewellyn. Thank you very much. Best of luck of the season to come. Yeah, thank you. And uh, he'll be uh, jumping in LA Night Jam on, on Saturday night. Uh, provided he gets through the qualification <laughs> stage of the competition. Yeah, don't, don't, tell, don't tell him that too early. i got to get through the first round first. Indeed, indeed. And until the, the next uh, episode, it is going to be ciao for now. Thank you for listening to the TWBC Podcast. Be sure to check out our website at waterskibroadcasting.com. Links to our presence on major social media platforms can be found there, as well as updates to our webcast and this podcast. Duplication or rebroadcasting of this broadcast without written consent of TWBC is prohibited. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to join us next time for the next edition of the TWBC Podcast.